Welcome to episode 138 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is the first 40 miles. Today on the first 40 miles, the geocaching episode. We'll show you how to turn a simple hike into a bushwhacking treasure hunt, and we'll walk you through the steps to incorporate this fun activity into your next outdoor adventure. Then, a feature rich solar charger that can power your next backpacking trip. On today's backpack hack of the week, a free app that will get you started geocaching in minutes. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Today I'm dealing with a little bit of a cold, so if my voice sounds deeper or if my nose sounds kind of stuffy, that's why. You'll be back to normal next week. Yeah, yeah. I think I know exactly what caused it. I've been trying to eat really healthy these last few months, and then、uh, a few days ago we bought some red vines, and I had some of those, and then we had s'mores, and I think it just Tanked my immune system. So I sound a little bit more、um, manly today, and I think, I think that's what did it. Well, it sounds like you should go back and listen to episode 129, our pre trip nutrition episode. <laughs> Take some、yes. notes this time. Ah, for sure. <laughs> no more red vines and marshmallows. It's not a food group. Those are for on the trail, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was on the trail. We were on a hike. We were, yes. And I grabbed a handful of red vines <laughs> and、uh, ate quite a few marshmallows. Oh, well. I know. Lesson learned. Well, several of our first 40 milers have asked us about geocaching. This is something that our family has done off and on for maybe the last seven years. Yeah, seven years now.、Uh, geocaching is this activity where people hide caches, usually a box full of little trinkets, and then they go onto a website and they post the GPS coordinates of their cache. And then other people can download those GPS coordinates and use their GPS, which I mean, we all just use cell phones now because they have built in GPS, and they can go try to find that cache that someone hid and open it up, check out what's inside, make a log entry. So that's basically what geocaching is a high tech treasure hunt, right? Someone is hiding something, posting the GPS coordinates online, and letting everyone else try to find it. Yeah, and unfortunately, it has nothing to do with cash. There's no money involved. Oh, like C A S H. Right. I think we've found a couple quarters and geocaches yeah, before. Sometimes a dollar bill. Right. Yeah, but the reason why we're talking about it today is because geocaches are hidden all around the world. And so, on your next backpacking trip, there's a pretty good chance that you may be able to find a geocache on the trail. And I feel a little bit weird talking about it today because I personally have never had the thrill of finding the, the treasure, the cash. It's always someone else in our family, and it's usually the same person a every particular time. someone else. So, someone always beats me to the cash, which means I just mostly stand around, you know, looking under rocks and up in the tree branches, but I have never actually found a cash myself. So, in the typical cache, you'll find a log book, which is usually just like a little tiny notebook. 
Um, you'll find a pencil, and those are both usually in a plastic bag. And then inside the box, you'll find trinkets that are of little value. So little plastic toys or marbles, foreign coins, old keys, bracelets. Imagine the types of things that you would find in a shoebox underneath the bed of any child in the 1950s. You know, that type of thing. And then when you find this cash, you sign the logbook and you put something in the cash and you can take something out. So it's kind of a little exchange thing. It is one of those activities that children and adults can do together. It doesn't require a whole lot of equipment or a whole lot of skill. And it can just get everyone outside. Our family got started in geocaching in the fall of 2010. I was looking for some activity that would just get us outside. You know, not enough time to head into the mountains and do a hike. And maybe there was just nothing nearby. Like, you know, we'd been to the park a million times and another walk in the park just didn't sound very interesting. And so I discovered geocaching as a great little tool to help get our family outside, especially in the winter. And so throughout that winter and following winters, when it was kind of dark and dreary and the days were short and it was cold and I was sitting in the living room going, huh, you know, and just getting that cabin fever, then I would say, hey, who wants to go find a geocache with me? And I'd grab my phone and a couple kids and off we'd go. And we would just try to find a geocache that was maybe within a few minutes of our home. It just got us outside and got us moving. And that felt so good. So it was it was a nice relief from that wintertime cabin fever. And now we've incorporated it on backpacking trips. So on many trips that we go on, before we go on the trip, I will take a look at which geocaches are maybe near the trail that we'll be on. And then during our trip, we can try to find those caches. So today we wanted to share the top five steps to get started geocaching. It's very simple to get started. Just a few minutes and you can be geocaching on your next outdoor adventure. The first step to get started with geocaching is to create a user account on geocaching.com. Geocaching.com is by far the most popular directory or repository of geocaches. And by creating an account on geocaching.com, just a free account, you can then log into the website and bring up a map of any area anywhere in the world, and you'll see local geocaches displayed on that map. Then you can click on each cache to get information about it. Of course, you would be doing all that on your computer, but we'll get to step two in a second. <laughs> but step one is just create that user account on geocaching.com. They also offer premium user accounts that you can look into, but the free account, that's what we use. The second step to getting started with geocaching is to download a geocaching app onto your phone. By having the app on your phone, this will allow you to download information about geocaches so that uh, when you're out on the trail and you're totally out of cell service, you'll be fine. You'll have all the information downloaded in the app for whatever area you're in, and you can still go find those geocaches even though you may not have internet service. Right, and one of the things that I love about the geocaching app that we use, and I'm sure other apps are similar, is that it points with a little arrow and it shows you which direction to go. So really, no map reading skills are required for geocaching. You just have to be able to follow the little arrow and then just have an eagle eye and be willing to look high and low and get creative with your search. Geocaching.com provides an official GroundSpeak incorporated geocaching app. The app itself is free, but then you pay on a subscription basis to unlock certain features of the app. 
that app is available on both uh, Android and iOS. Uh, however, in today's Backpack Hack of the Week, we will share with you the free geocaching app that we use that we like better. The third step to get started with geocaching is to download the caches for where you'll be hiking. There are over 2 million geocaches throughout the world, and so really, there is a good chance, unless you're in a national park, which doesn't allow geocaches, and probably North Korea. I'm just guessing. Oh, man, I gotta look. <laughs> you gotta check it out. But there's a good chance you'll be able to find a geocache in whatever remote location you'll be hiking in. I'm pretty sure there's underwater caches, too. National parks in the U.S. do not allow the placement of geocaches. However, most areas of the national forest do allow placing geocaches. I know here in Oregon, the state park system not only allows, but really promotes and supports geocaches in state parks. Now, I think there's something we forgot to mention in the beginning, and that is that people place caches. It's not groundspeak or geocaching.com. Josh and I have placed a geocache before. It was active for, I think, maybe two or three years, and then it got muggled. We're not really sure what happened our, to it. Our kids showed it to some friends. <laughs> And we think it might have been our own children and their friends who muggled the cache. Hmm. And then we moved. So we took the geocache down because we wouldn't be able to stay around to maintain it. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who um, has set up a geocache maintains it. So if, if they see that people haven't been able to find it for a few months, usually they'll go out and look for it themselves or they'll deactivate it and you know reestablish it later. The fourth step to getting started with geocaching is to pick your cache. Now, caches are rated by type, difficulty, and size. And if you want to start really simply, then go for something like a normal, medium to large, easy cache, like a one-star cache or something. Yeah, that's the best way to get started for your first cache because you'll get the hang of it, uh, how to read how close you are with your phone or GPS device. Usually GPS is accurate to within about 10 feet. So if the person who hid the cache had a really accurate GPS reading, and if you have a really accurate GPS reading, then you'll be within 10 feet of the cache. If their reading was a little off and your GPS is also a little off, you could be 20 or 30 feet away from the cache. And so having a larger cache to find, I think it increases your odds of success on that first search. Yeah, and there are over a dozen different cache types. So if you really get into geocaching and you want to just try everything, we have a link in the show notes today that shows all the different cache types. And once you've found that first cache, you might be the type of person that really goes for those nano caches. I mean, they're pretty amazing. They might look like the head of a bolt on some utility box. And you know that the cache is there and you're looking, you know, kind of scouring the surface of this utility box until you discover, wait a minute, that bolt head does not belong there. <laughs> That's not where a bolt head would be. And you grab it and pluck it off the surface of the utility box right. and go, oh, I found it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty exciting. Although I wouldn't know. Never found a cache. <laughs> but that is step number five to getting started with geocaching. It's to find the cache. So you'll have a rough idea of where it is based on the GPS coordinates. But also in the description, sometimes people give clues or hints. 
So if you need a little extra help in finding a geocache, then you can uncover the clue. Then once you find the cache, open it up, sign the logbook with your geocaching handle and the date. And then if you want to make a trade, you can take something and then leave something. And then when you get home, don't forget to log your cache find on geocaching.com. And your geocaching handle is your user ID on geocaching.com. So ours is Legler. We got real creative with that one. <laughs> and on rare occasion, you might not find the cache. Uh, people who hide them may have outsmarted you, or the cache may have been discovered and removed by someone who's not a geocacher. That can be pretty frustrating to look and look and look and not find it. So definitely, when you get home, make note of that so that the person who owns the cache can know that you didn't find the cache, and then they can go out and check and make sure it's still there. That's called a DNF, or it did not find. And that alerts the owner of the cache to the fact that you tried to find it, but you couldn't. And maybe they know that they just placed a really difficult-to-find cache, and they know for sure that it's there. Or maybe they need to go check it out and see if it got removed. So that's all it takes to get started with geocaching. Start out by creating your user account on geocaching.com. Download a geocaching app onto your phone. Then before you go out on a trip, download the caches for the area where you'll be hiking. Then pick the first cache that you want to try to find. Bring it up on your phone, follow the directions, get close and find your cache and log it. Geocaching.com also provides a great getting started guide at geocaching.com slash guide. And we'll put a link in today's show notes at the first 40 miles.com slash 138. And maybe someday I will actually find a geocache. It will be the happiest day of my life. <laughs> Sometime when it's just the two of us out on a trip. No, 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 no. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to find it and you won't say anything. No. And then I'll find it and be like, look, I found it. But you'll just have this little <laughs> grin on your face. Right. Okay. Sometime when it's the whole family, we will have you find a cache, but not tell them that you're looking for a cache. <laughs> And so you'll be like, hey, guess what, kids? I found a cache. No, 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 no. I don't need to be babied. I will find it someday. I will find a cache. And then it will be the, the happiest day of my life. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. One of the top 10. Wow. Top 11. <laughs> <laughs> the spots are kind of filling up fast. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm going on to 11 now. Okay. Makes sense. I mean... What do you do when you fill up 10? I know. You got to go to 11. Yeah. Yeah. For today's Summit Gear review, we will be reviewing the BioLite Solar Panel 5 Plus. BioLite made a big splash a few years ago when they came up with a stove that you can take backpacking that can also charge your cell phone. So the whole company is kind of centered around providing power for people when they're outdoors. So this is one of their products, the Solar Panel 5 Plus, and it's a rugged, kind of stiff solar panel that's a high-efficiency monocrystalline panel. So some of the other panels that we've used in the past, you kind of fold up. They're kind of semi-flexible. This one is a lot stiffer, and it has some great features that allow you to get the most out of your solar charger. One of the cool features of the BioLite Solar Panel 5 Plus is that it has a kickstand on it, and so you can set up 
your solar panel and have it pointing directly at the sun, or you can position it however you want, and you won't have to balance it on rocks or prop it up using sticks. The kickstand is a unique feature that I really liked on this panel. For utility, the BioLite Solar Panel 5 Plus has another feature that I haven't seen on other solar chargers, but it just makes sense. It's a dot on clear plastic, and then underneath that is some hatch marks, and so when the sun shines on this little dot, it makes a shadow right above those hatch marks, and that can help you determine if you're getting direct sun. I mean, don't you always wonder when you have the solar charger on your pack, am I getting the best sun? Like, how how can you tell? So this sundial makes it really easy to get the maximum charge that it can take. And of course, when you have a solar panel sitting on the back of your pack, the answer is pretty much no, you're not getting direct sun because you're moving all over. But when you get into camp and you set it up out on the dirt somewhere, that's where you can really take a minute to position it and get it just right so it's getting maximum advantage from the power of the sun. Right. And the sun is always moving. And so you can see right there on the charger if it's lined up and you're getting direct sun. Another feature that this solar panel has is reinforced corner holes. Normally they're grommets on other chargers, but these are kind of hard plastic. So you can still latch this solar charger onto your pack. The BioLite Solar Panel 5 Plus is plus because it's different from the BioLite Solar Panel 5. The plus means that it actually has a battery built into it. So you can pre-charge this solar charger and have just a little bit of extra juice stored up in the charger. The battery has a capacity of 2200 milliamp hours. That's probably roughly the capacity of your cell phone battery. So the BioLite battery built into this solar panel is going to store enough electricity to give you about one charge of your cell phone. But really what it allows for is is to have a little bit of a, I guess, a decoupling of charging time of your device and time when the sun is available. So you might charge your device sitting in camp at night, but then set the solar panel out during the day when the sun is out to recharge its internal battery. The solar panel also has an indicator light to tell you how charged the battery is. The solar panel also comes with a fiber-wrapped micro-USB cord, which is a little bit sturdier than just the standard plastic USB cord. And the USB cord can be used, of course, to get power out of the solar panel, uh, or you can turn it around and get power into the solar panel or into the battery. So you can recharge the battery fully off of a USB charger at home so that when you start out on your backpacking trip, it's already topped off. For mass, the BioLite Solar Panel 5 Plus weighs about 14 and a half ounces, and it measures about 8 inches by 10 inches. The panel itself is about an eighth of an inch. Wouldn't you say that's about? Is that 1.5 eighths of an inch? Oh, you can't do that. You can't do 1.5 eighths. <laughs> it's three sixteenths of an inch. A quarter of a centimeter. It's more than an eighth, less than a fourth. Yeah, two-tenths of an inch. <laughs> oh, man, we're really struggling here. Um, but then the top part where the battery is, that is about an inch wide. So when they say ultra slim, I guess I have to say something about that. I mean, this is between an eighth and a quarter inch thick, so it's slim from that perspective. But the other solar panels that we have that are non-rigid, they are as thick as a piece of cardstock. Very, very thin 
compared to this one. Right. This is definitely thicker than that. I mean, I guess it makes it a little more sturdy, but also adds some weight to it. For maintenance, we just recommend uh, charging the BioLite Solar Panel 5 Plus at home from a wall outlet so that it's topped off before you head out on a trip. And then while you're on the trip, of course, set it out in the sun to let it uh, keep that battery topped off. The BioLite Solar Panel 5 Plus has been ingress protection rated. It's IPX4, which means it hasn't been tested for protection against solid particles, but it has been tested for protection against water. And it has an IP rating of 4 for that, which means it's splash resistant. So the moment the sun goes away and little raindrops start to fall, you'll probably need to put this in your pack or in a gallon-sized Ziploc bag. For investment, the solar panel is $80. And for trial, this charger has some great features that we really enjoyed. And the first one was the kickstand. I thought that was a really great way to position the solar charger so you're not having to use you know, rocks and sticks. Um, I love that it has that little sundial on it. So you know that the sun is hitting the solar charger. And then I love that it has a backup battery. And when I test solar panels, I use a current meter so I can tell how much power I'm actually getting out of the solar panel when I plug my phone or camera or any other device into it to charge it. And with this panel, I couldn't do that because of the built-in battery. So if I were to use my current meter on it, I would I would be measuring how much power output the battery is providing, not the actual solar panel. So what I don't know is how efficiently this solar panel works compared to other solar panels that we've tested. I can say BioLite has rated it as putting out 5 watts. That's lower than a couple of the best solar panels that we've tested, which uh, are rated to put out uh, 7 to 10 watts. So I don't know that this would really be like a high-capacity high output solar panel. I mean, it's only eight inches by 10 inches, so it's not a huge panel. But with that battery in there, at least if you do have to set it out for a long time, I guess maybe that's okay, because when you need to charge your device, it's just gonna draw that power right out of the battery. You don't have to worry about whether the sun is shining at that moment. So this really is best for charging cell phones. It doesn't have a huge amount of output, which makes it a really great option for if you're just going to use your cell phone on the trip and you want to do a little geocaching. It doesn't collect or put out a lot of energy, but it's going to be just enough to power your cell phone and make it so you can find those geocaches on the trail. Yeah, you know what? That reminds me. We didn't mention geocaching is an activity that can drain your phone battery pretty quickly because it has to use the high-precision satellite-based GPS capabilities on your phone. When you're running around town, your phone can actually get a really quick position, rough position, by triangulating against uh, cell towers. And it can do that really quickly without using a lot of battery. But when you're out in the woods and there are no cell towers around and you're using your geocaching app so you want that accuracy within 10 feet that's when your cell phone must lock in the signals from those 10 to 20 gps satellites that it might have visibility to in the sky and get you that really detailed position and so that just takes more battery it just does so you're going to notice your phone battery draining a little quicker when you're actively searching for a geocache for today's Backpack Hack of the Week, we have our favorite geocache app, plus another one for Apple people. In today's top five list about how to get started with geocaching, 
We mentioned that you need to download a geocaching app onto your phone, and we also mentioned that uh, Groundspeak, the company that runs geocaching.com, they provide an official geocaching app. And as of a few months ago, that app is free with strings attached. What kinds of strings? To really unlock actually some really common features that most people use when geocaching, you have to pay a subscription. So you get the app for free, but then you pay as much as $30 a year or $6 a month to have the subscription so that you can unlock the features that, well, you'll actually need to use the app successfully. So it's this app that's largely crippled in its free version until you pay to unlock those features. And it has some pretty horrible reviews on uh, both Google Play and iTunes. Most of those horrible reviews are not related to the functionality of the app per se, but to this subscription approach to it. People feel like, well, other people are out there hiding geocaches just voluntarily. They're just paying for it on their own, putting it out there. And then Groundspeak is trying to make money off of it by being the directory and providing this app and having the subscription model. And it just seems like that's rubbed people the wrong way. So on our Android devices, we use an app called CGO. It's the letter C and then a colon and then G-E-O, CGO. It's not only free, it's also open source. And you use your geocaching.com user account to log in. And CGO simply uses the geocaching.com API to get information about caches that you're searching for. And so you get all these features and functionality without having to pay anything. There's not even any advertising in the app. It's just such a clean interface. I love just bringing up the app and clicking the button that says Live Map. And instantly it shows me in the middle of the map and all around me I see a bunch of geocaches. I can tap on one of those geocaches and it brings the details right up. I see what type of cache, what size, the difficulty, the terrain. I can view the log so I can see other people's attempts to find it. I can even see pictures that other people have posted uh, holding the cache or, you know, just some pretty picture of the area. And I can even log my finds or my did not finds all right through that app. So that's CGO. It's free, available on Google Play. It, however, is not available for iOS. But the app we would recommend for iOS users is called Cashly. It's C-A-C-H-L-Y. It's not free. It costs $5, but it has really good reviews on iTunes. And that's not a subscription-based app. Just a one-time payment of $5, and then it's you've got the full app. Perfect. And we'll have the links to both of those apps in our show notes today at thefirst40miles.com slash 138. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Paolo Coelho. He said, you can either be a victim of the world or an adventurer in search of treasure. It all depends on how you view your life. Sounds like Paolo was a geocacher. Mm-hmm. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.
Just a second. I have something clever to say, but I need to look it up first. <laughs> uh, geocaching. <laughs> That's what we do when we're on holiday. We geocache.